You're listening to the Racking Focus Podcast. Hey, welcome back to the Racking Focus Podcast. I'm Josiah Blizzard. And I'm John Doyle. And today we watched The Green Knight from A24, and we're going to spend a little time talking about it. Oh, greatest of kings, indulge me in this friendly Christmas game. Let whichever of your knights is boldest of blood and wildest of hearts step forth. Take up arms and try with honor to land a blow against me. Whomsoever nicks me shall lay claim to this my arm. Its glory and riches shall be thine. But thy champ must bind himself to this. Should he land a blow, then one year and yuletide hence he must seek me out yonder to the green chapel six nights to the north he shall find me there and bend a knee and let me strike him in return be it a scratch on the check or a cut in the throat i will return what was given to me and then in trust and friendship we shall part who then who is willing to engage with me so we've been waiting for this movie for what feels like it may it may, may be around a year and a half two years because i've it's yeah, probably a about year a year and, and a half, half, I think. Yeah, this is supposed to come out about a year ago, right? And then COVID hit, and it was pushed by an entire, an entire year. Um, so, needless to say, my expectations were pretty high after waiting an entire year to see this film, and they are still pretty high, I think, after <laughs> viewing it. I have you seen any of other? Sorry, let me rephrase that. Have you seen any other films by this director, by David Lowry? So, uh, I'm just, I've seen The Nick. Okay. Yeah. You've seen some other, I have not seen Pete's Dragon, nor I don't think I will see Pete's Dragon. But the last film I've seen from him was a ghost story where Casey Affleck essentially walks around uh, in a in a sheet, um, but that film I really really was hit by that film, uh, and so I had high expectations coming into the Green Knight and had an understanding of his visual style and how he approaches filmmaking and he does he does very similar things in a Ghost Story as he does in in the in the Green Knight here. And just as a fair warning, there are spoilers ahead. I don't think we can really talk about this film without avoiding, without avoiding spoilers, uh, because it, there's just there. I don't. There's just no way. There's just no way to avoid it. Everything's tied all together. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Every strand is connected. And, and I think we should say too, right up front, that this is our a single viewing of a very complex film. Yes. And so no promises on the level of possible analysis in the short term. And this may be one where we end up having another conversation in a week or whatever after we've seen it again. And uh, yeah, and we can we can review or reflect on what we've even talked about. tonight. Yeah. So there may be a part two to this this episode that will release. But uh, yeah, th- I mean, as I'm as we're walking out, I'm saying to you, I think I need to watch this another two or three times minimum to fully understand what just happened. And this is coming from somebody I just finished reading the the poem today. Right. So I have an understanding of what the source material looks like. 
but his retelling it says that this is a re a fantasy retelling of the medieval story of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight and I don't think that he that he's retelling that story so much as he is expanding the myth and legend of that night does that make sense yeah and I mean I I think it might even be too a conversation about that whole idea yeah um, uh, through throughout as opposed to really focused on the validity of that individual ro- you know romantic piece of chivalry mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, you know yeah it, it 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 is uh, uh, chivalric romantic thing right like the, I think it says it in the title cards at, at one point in the right? title cards at the beginning it says that and that's I mean if we were to look at it from a literary standpoint it's part of that chivalry romance poetry that existed yeah that referenced I mean primarily Arthur's re- reign but we yeah. see it in other European countries too right and uh, man this I don't even know where to start with talking about this uh, I don't know how to break this down. I guess we can break it into aspects of story, aspects of the filmmaking, and then there's a whole uh, moral and philosophical section of this film, I feel like, right? I mean, Lowry, I mean, that's... Lowry's a filmmaker that isn't afraid to dive into the the meaning behind everything. I mean, that a ghost story is the meaning essentially behind life and death and all of that. But uh, this does something similar with with different aspects of of life but i guess i guess do you want to just start with with the film itself like the filmmaking aspect of everything because that's that going to be the easiest to talk and about. the clearest right the yeah clearest conversation. yeah right there's no there's no metaphors when it comes down to how beautiful this film looks right um i wanted to, you know the whole time i'm watching i'm wondering what does john think of the sound and the music that is <laughs> happening <laughs> yeah so from a sound perspective there there's a lot of really well done work and we get you know in that opening scene uh, and i gotta say this just a24 has a thing for goats and sheep like <laughs> it's just we just have to acknowledge yep. that a24 is a i think if you go to them with a script and you say i've got an angry goat and a weird sheep yep. you're probably getting produced you're getting but, you're getting picked up for sure <laughs> <laughs> but there, there's that long shot that sits out there with those animals right that mm-hmm. sort of natural world and there's this antagonism taking place between the what geese, I guess, and the goat. Well, and there's this fire that's starting to rage in the in back. In the background, and it's just picking up more and more as, yeah. as time goes and on. So there's there's all the, there's a lot being said in an opening shot, and I like opening shots that that do their work. And so it's it reminds me so much of you know uh, we've seen opening shots like this these slow pullouts. But one of the things that this particular shot does is as it pulls out it reframes the aspect ratio, right? So we're mm-hmm. in the widescreen and it pulls back and it enters that window space and suddenly we're in this vertical frame for a little while and then we, it reveals it. Mm-hmm. And as that reveal of we're in a real world and we're no longer in this aspect ratio change, we hear drips of water matching the beat of the music. Yeah, yeah. And it's, mm-hmm. it is like a, it, it's a hammer sort of to me saying a sound is going to be a component throughout this film in some way and yep. it's going to be a way of us sort of walking through fantasy and reality and truth and whatever it may be. Yeah. Yeah, I I picked up on that too like this this beat of the the drip hit hit uh matched with the violin plucks. 
uh, and uh, it and was just no messing around to produce no, that. That's no, no, that's the timing on that that's, is it's a good bit of work. Yeah, well, and it, and it's it's this thing where every every shot matters in the film, right? right? Because they're they're not just immediately scrapping this shot with the geese and the whatever all those animals and the fire that's happening and in the background angry goat, that and angry the woman goat. and her husband who and she gets on the horse and right. he grabs some kind of what looks like a weapon right and they're not just disregarding that shot just for the sake of a title card um right, right? that shot actually reveals our protagonist mm-hmm. um and the world that we're in and it's there's yeah there's just every shot matters every shot matters in this film every everything is purposeful uh the cutaways to you know light peeking through tree branches mm-hmm. is purposeful everything is where it should be and Lowry's not a, a Lowry's a director that is going to take his time and this film takes its time for sure yeah um, i mean i think that's one thing to tell an audience who's listening to this is this is not a film where we're rocketing through the no, adventure no, no. right it's it's definitely methodical and purposeful and uh yeah i you know, slowly I'm, paced. I'm afraid that there are some people in the theater today with us who are expecting something much much different right much more sh- chivalric battle yes right uh they were expecting ridley scott's whatever or the last duel the last duel that's i think what people were were somewhat expecting um right and it's not and at it's all not that at all right? no. um uh, i'm not sure there's any fighting whatsoever in this film no i mean there's some strikes right there's uh, some struggle and strikes that's but about that's it really where we're focused yeah because so, it's not about that yeah it's not about the fight no uh so that i would say that about sound i would say the sound of the uh the Green Knight was extraordinary. Oh my goodness! The, yes, and, and the use of—I mean, the, you could feel his weight, but, and you could feel the rigidity of uh-huh. his body. Right? Yeah. There's this thing about nature that's floating through the back of this whole story, yeah. and that I'm not completely prepared to talk about at this point yeah, while we're sitting here. But yeah. the the sound of cracking wood and mm-hmm. and shifting and bending. And the, the weight of his body, all of that, was done effectively through sound, right? Yep. Um, the special effects are perfectly fine, but the, it's really the sound that's driving us. And the music, interestingly enough, um, e- I mean, it feels very of the time. Right. You know? Uh, there is this strong female vocalization that exists throughout it, which I think is definitely something that Lowry's talking about, too. And uh, the other thing I would say about the music is there is this splash of contemporary present in it Mm -hmm. Um, it doesn't feel like it's arcane right it doesn't feel like it's buried in the time yeah it feels like it's of the time on a contemporary screen right right Uh, and i thought very effectively used uh throughout i mean i i I, uh yeah uh, and the other sound thing i would say right up front that i loved was when uh guinevere reads the letter and she, her voice yes, twists. twists. I thought that was such a really yeah. lovely way of proceeding with that. There is that. There is a bit of the music that has the sense of what horror music sounds like today. Yes, as if it was, as as if they were taking horror music from today and trying to put it in 
like a medieval context sort or, of thing or is what a, you're saying? Or even a medieval instrumentation. But I see, yeah. That yeah. same so I, I feel like I've heard some of the strains of this music in other contemporary horror films. Um mm-hmm. uh yeah, for Especially sure. Especially Jordan Peele's. Stuff. I was gonna say, Get Out feels yeah, that way. Yeah. Even we watched the Candyman trailer, right? And I think I think Peele's involved in that in some he way. He is involved. In and, that. and and I mean, the sounds from that trailer today were kind of in line with the uh, right. Ev- or even heck, uh, Lamb. We watched uh, the trailer for oh, trailer Lamb, for Lamb, and that had similarities to and, the. And so the I sounds. think I think that there's something about that that is what horror is but that isn't what's there through the entire film it just was present right. and I want well to and, and right and this isn't a horror film right like the green knight's not a not necessarily a horror film it's right um there's genre yeah it, there's a lot i dude fantasy. i i can't i can't process this film i'm having a hard time uh because there was so much thrown at me yeah, I, there's, well, there's so a lot much of questions to too, and, yeah. and this is yes. going to be fodder for this YouTube is a film. people who are going to try oh, and explain absolutely. things, which is probably not. It's it's valuable. too early. It's too early for that too, because this you need to go and watch this film another two, three times while also having read the source material. I think I think this reading of the source material for this will give you a different understanding of what this film is. Sure. Um, at least it's given me insight that. I wouldn't have thought of, mm-hmm. you know, and we'll get to that a little bit later, but so let's continue with filmmaking for yeah. a little bit. So, I mean, the sound was wonderful. The music was, the music was wonderful. Like right. they were both. Yeah. Spot on. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to listen to the, to the music, to the soundtrack, to the score of this outside of the theater, outside of the sure. film, just to kind of, just to hear everything that they're doing. Cause you know, you're, you're sucked into the, the viewing the first time you're watching you're sucked into story you're sucked into the the visuals and the music all at the same time mm-hmm. and you can't focus on you just can't right. focus Splitting on it out one thing challenge. right yeah the visuals are stunning and oh my god relentlessly so right i i don't think there's a beat in this where the images aren't ravishing to look at and whether it's you know uh, some kind of tracking shot done with a steady cam or whether a tracking shot done with machinery or drone or whatever it may be yeah or it's just still frame shots or those spinning 360 pans i was gonna say that i mean the pans in this are used so well and a pan is one of those things that is it's just like it's the first move you learn when you when you become right. a filmmaker right it's like the pan is the thing and then you forget about it as you progress uh, as a filmmaker and then you realize that everything kind of comes back to this mm-hmm. tilt and pan motion and uh lowry's again one of those directors that is okay with simplifying and 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 cutting it back to a, even a, a static shot on somebody or a a simple a simple pan but then he's also okay using some kind of crazy rig to track Dev Patel and his horseback for a whole minute while some kids chase a horse and some sheep cross his path and then it jibs up to his face. Like, that's a complex shot. No, absolutely. When he's leaving the castle, when he's leaving the... Uh, well, know, and the, the shot on the, the battlefield when he's on the, the broken battlefield oh with, the, yeah. with the... What, whoever, the thief. I don't know what his, his I, title I, is in yeah, the script. Yeah, um, And... Uh, he that shot was I mean they just sat and 
tracked with that horse and that I know. kid throughout it's that. It's unreal. It was well, really and, quite and there were these some smoke. There was some smoke uh, that blew through, and I wasn't sure if this smoke was CG. If this was added in in post as a cut reference, like as a cut point, right? Uh, or if that was real life practical smoke that was blowing through frame. Um, either way, it worked, and uh, there's just some astounding visuals in this, and. Uh, even the use of the use of color, uh, the use of color was incredibly important. Uh, I mean, you're talking the yellow of his cape, um, the the blues, the gr- I mean, the greens, the greens. They talk. There's a whole monologue about green and red. Like color is right. is is uh, I would argue was probably the first thing that he he thought of when he's creating the visual reference for this for this film right you're talking about color and then you go in you design the artwork based around Mm -hmm. the colors that you're picturing in your head the color palette is unbelievable well and the green isn't some vibrant like neon green it isn't it's uh, not a yellowy green no it's it's a deep it's a deep green hue um, very almost a little desaturated yeah that's what i would say too. yeah absolutely It, it it's just beautiful and and that's what makes the red and the blues and the yellows pop and mm-hmm. even browns and orange the orange of the fox right all of that color um really just pops right off of that that green um and the, the shots are framing for us so that we can see that too and so mm-hmm. the use of light throughout is really extraordinary and we and i, I can I mean there's a hundred different places to talk about light but both of the <laughs> portrait moments Oh, are man. really quite extraordinary with how light is used and how light is avoided. The use of darkness, the use mm-hmm. of, you know, that photography oh, moment yeah. that takes place in in the piece, which is just beautiful and, and talks a little bit about magic and the oh, frozen gosh. nature of, of who people are. <laughs> There's just too much. There's um, too much in this film. There's each scene is... A, a symbolic moment for something, some kind of m- metaphor. There's some, you know what I mean? Everything has depth to it. Yeah. And I, it, I we just sat through two hours of every scene being that way for the most part, you know? And I, I, breaking all of that down is so difficult. Yeah. It, you know, it, it's not the, it's, it's not a film where, you're going so reviewing it is very different than having a conversation about it Mm -hmm. so it would be relatively easy to to do a five minute review of this film yeah but making the effort to sort of talk much more about what's happening means that we have to start to pull pieces apart and unlike many films there are many unique pieces throughout yeah Uh, so we talk about that opening shot as a piece unto itself but you know we have just really extraordinary use of uh, the, uh, drawings versus the real world and parallels and a, yeah. a level of makeup design that I was ex- extremely impressed by. The makeup on Arthur and Guinevere was fantastic. Yeah. And that idea of the end of life and what that means and, and aging mm. and all of that done well, so yeah, the, well. I mean, the aging on Dev Patel was so well done really that that so beautifully done that sort of last temptation of christ sequence Mm. that takes place um 
throughout the that the back half of the not back I guess eighth of the film or quarter of the film, whatever it is, because this is a difficult film for me to divide up in my head right now. Yes, yeah, this um, th- this doesn't follow a very traditional uh, no, story structure. Uh, and it gives us a lot of warnings, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, that the that sequence, Patel's work there, may be stronger than the work in the rest of the film. That aging and mm. his awareness and the... Uh, overwhelming sense of his falseness and shame yes present yeah through the entire piece and as we're working our way through um some very complex situations that are being presented to us with very little framing Mm -hmm. so like a child born and stolen right Mm -hmm. what does this mean how does the what's the mother's relationship in this who is this new queen oh i know who she is like all of that stuff that's happening, there, yeah. Lowry does not say, "Oh, let me explain this to you." There's no expo- exposition he in, just in any little bit. It's just take it or leave it. Right. Accept it. Use your brain. Right. Think about think about this for a minute while I give you these very slow visuals, and you'll you'll start to piece it together. You'll understand. Lowry understands that the, the audience is smart. The, those who want to understand can understand. Mm-hmm. And those who ha- want nothing to do with his film, he didn't make it for them in the first place. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an Artur's work, right? He for sure. is the writer, producer, director. Yeah. He is mastering this thing. Yes. And that means he's making the film, maybe not for himself, but for the film he wants to make. And mm-hmm. when you do that, your audience becomes significantly lower in your decision-making process. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and so you don't need to explain all that stuff. I mean... You know, there's that really spectacular 360 when we revolve around and we find his dead body and then we revolve Mm -hmm. around back. Yeah. That there's, I mean, there's a paper I can write on that probably. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, what, that was a whole, what, 45 seconds pan, a 45 second pan, uh, followed by another 45 second pan back the same way. Like it was, uh, I mean, that was a long pan and you're seeing the passage of time and happen. the detail that's there and he uses sound in the background there's yeah. so much going on just to express this moment and and then the choice right mm-hmm. and in in a way you know one of the things that is challenging in this film from an audience standpoint is that we do enter uh gawain's that's i'm going to call him that that's what I, my, i'm going to call him sorry if i can't do what Ever they were, they were, they were calling him with Garwin. Gawain, Gawain, Gawain. Uh, and I know that I'm being awful. Uh, I'm being an awful English Gawain. teacher voice, but whatever. Um, he, we're in his perspective over and over and over again, but there isn't any effort to tell us when we're in there. Right. So like we don't get, hey, we're we're switching perspective here. We get a shot where, because of what happens in the shot, either the reality of the story isn't what we believe, which could be true, or we're in his head and it's a driving force and it drives him forward. And, and we have yeah. to, it, it, to me at this point, I'm not sure I want to commit to either of those except to say that I know we're in that perspective and that's equally as challenging for an audience mm-hmm. to determine without signals, like the signals that an average director or a, a director worried much more about the audience would be giving us so we'd know where we were. No, yeah, he... He really doesn't care if you don't want to understand this, right? Like, he wants you to put the work into to understanding the film if you really care that much. 
it's this whole um, attract and repel thing, right? Like he wants to attract audience uh, members and viewers who are like him, who understand, who 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 have a desire to understand, uh, and who appreciate the medium of of film. Uh, and he wants to repel those who have, you know, no idea and no care in the world about a film like this, who would rather go and watch Snake Eyes or fast nine you know what i mean right. like there's I, i'm watching this i'm like there is this is this is a this is a work of art versus you know something like a fast and furious film or a snake eyes that is just we're gonna make this for a, a quick buck right like there's right. there's a difference and art right. has always been that way there's always been people who have been doing it for money and people who have been doing it for the art yeah the the difficulty for Lowry is you, we, and this is part of why I'm, I need to watch it again. Mm -hmm. I need to feel confident that every, that it isn't just a series of intense images yeah. that don't, that don't develop to a, a whole. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think it is. I mean, I think, there, I don't, I, I, I think don't there's think a it hole is. there, yeah. but you, you do have to take your time and think about it. And as a result, sort of the structure of our podcast doesn't lean into this movie. Uh, it, yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's hard. It, this one's hard. It is, and the visceral nature of some of the other challenging films we've watched, like The Lighthouse or mm -hmm. uh, Midsummer or whatever, the, the the visceral nature allows us to come out and have a pretty interesting conversation. Um, but I know that this conversation is only part of what we can do. I can talk about things that I thought were cool. So tell me shots that you remember that like stick out. Uh, oh, like things that were oh, just yes. beautiful. Let's great, just great. Well, let's that. just go through the list. Um, the whole movie for one, right, um, right? Obviously, I mean, you can take a still from uh, any. You pause anywhere, and it's going to be amazing. Right. But, so pick what what you know, really we, sticks we in your head. We talked now. about that one pan already. Uh, we talked about that 360 degree pan, right, where you reveal the dead body and then you pan back. Uh, there was another. Uh, there's another moment where the sky flips onto the ground. Yeah. So, you know, the camera completely rotates. Uh, it's this aerial shot. They must have used a drone or something. Um, and uh, Dev and the fox are are walking through the, the rocks. And uh, all of a sudden, the camera passes them, and it's twisting. And all of a sudden, the the earth is on top, and the sky's on the bottom. Mm -hmm. That was that was incredible. Really beautiful. Really, really gorgeous. Um, Any time those giants were on screen was, was just I, I mean that's that's pure like myth legend stuff right like that this is a this is a fantasy film no for sure this is a fantasy film mm -hmm. and uh you know we don't i feel like we don't see too many fantasy films release you know normally they're made into television shows at this right. point so watching a fantasy film on the big screen was was pretty cool mm -hmm. um there was a there was a shot where in that moment where the fox howls at them and i just thought the lighting in in that in that sequence where the the fox jumps in front and mm -hmm. dev is in the back um and even dev's in the front at one point and and the just the lighting the it, it was like a painting uh and the colors and, and his and his yellow cape is kind of flowing in the wind um the and you have some primary colors primary colors what are the primary colors i'm not even red really sure. yellow blue red yellow blue yeah so i was yeah great so you have some sky you have mm -hmm. his cape and you have the fox all on a single uh on a single shot it was every that was just that was just beautiful um 
gosh, man, there's just, uh, even, I mean, this, okay, so this is what I was concerned about going into the film, was feeling like I was on a soundstage somewhere, and this world was, uh, you know, uh, the round table and any sort of period piece thing felt like it was a stage right. or a set piece that they built, but... I mean, it felt like they dropped me into the into a real castle in this movie. It felt like they dropped me into whatever time period this was, and everything felt weight weighted down. It felt like there was um, motivated light. Everything felt so real, um, and I knew that the rest of the film was was gonna feel that way once uh, once uh, Sean Harris invited Dev up to to the seat. You know, one of you the know. things about we always talk about when we're looking at film is is the idea of world building, right? Mm -hmm. And too often, world buildings about things like exposition and um, design of whether it's yeah. the technology of the world, you know, the weapons or whatever, or architecture, right? And the world building here is done by camera shot and light and color, mm -hmm. and we know we're in a place that's real because it has a integrity throughout right yeah. Uh, yeah even though we are in different settings and there, I mean there are settings that are vastly different in even their design mm -hmm. they do feel of a world or of a kind of world that this main character is wandering through and we can believe it because we buy into the surrealist nature of everything. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we accept this as almost like a surreal piece of art. And so the world building isn't difficult because you've allowed the audience to just accept what's happening as part of the world, right? I, I don't question that giants can exist right. because I have already seen this man get his head cut off and then he picked it up and rode out the, rode out the door laughing, right? right. Like, I, I, I can believe in the magic already. I can believe in whatever this man's going to go through on his journey. But, I, and even even around that, the look of everything is so consistent mm -hmm. and so richly sort of painted. And the I, I textures, the words painted, the, yes, painted. That it feels mm -hmm. believable, right? So those giants, even though their world is quite different than the world of Arthur's court or mm -hmm. of the, you know, the Lord's castle... Um, or wherever right. we may be, mm -hmm. the, uh, uh, what was her name? Winifred's. That I really love that sequence. Winifred's yeah, wonderful. house. The, the, even though they are different in ver varieties of sort of stylistic or proper, whatever it may be, that's present there, they feel of the same larger world. Yeah. So we're not having someone tell us what the laws of physics are in this, or what the rules of magic are, which is what world building normally does. Right. Right. We're simply there, and we're experiencing it and light and camera and action like you, you're you know talking about show don't tell like yeah which you see things and we know what it means uh and we don't need to understand the physics of it or the inner workings of it uh it, yeah we because it, it we believe we're in the place we're in when the fox speaks that okay right i'm cool with that right i'm on board I'm, yeah i'm waiting for the fox to speak in a way you yeah know? Uh, yes, and that's something I want to talk about a little bit later. But yeah, there, there's things that happen that are that you just accept because of the way the world was built, lit, structured, right. textured, painted. I mean, I, I mean, there's one point where it is when the it is when the fox speaks, 
And it's that scene that is a completely different color than every other scene we've seen before, right? There is just this gray, bluish, greenish texture to everything. Then all of a sudden, you know, we're cutting into this almost Blade Runner 2049, Ryan Gosling walking through nuked Vegas, uh, warm, warm smoke in the air. Like it's, it's this really strange color that you don't ever see. I mean, you don't really see for the rest of the film because after that scene, it tones, tones itself down and we're really in kind of like this, this golden light, this golden Mm -hmm. hour, uh, chapel area. Right. But it's that scene that is just like, so it just, it feels surreal. It doesn't feel real. And so the Fox saying the Fox speaking, you know, is uh, you can buy into it. You can just buy into it. And cause we're experiencing everything from, um, Gaywin's p- perspective, mm-hmm. you know, he's experiencing it for the first time that we are too. And he's, he's buying into it. So I must, I'm with him on this. So I must, I must believe this, you know? Well, and talk about, I mean, that's the, I, perhaps the hard part of the acting before I would talk a little bit about some visuals. The hard mm-hmm. part about the acting is, uh, I mean, Dev Patel has to Everything is new and surprising. Everything is literally everything. And he finds ways to make that feel not cheap and. Yeah. uh, Oh, I believe every single word he says. Right. But he is every place he goes. It's like, where, what the, what What is going on? Your head is actually attached to your body lady. Right. It's not in this lake. Right. And then he just takes her at her word for it and jumps in. Talk about cool lighting. Oh, Talk sequence. about a great lighting change. I mean, that would have been boring if that red light hadn't flipped on. Yeah, and talk about like we hear that conversation about red and yeah. uh, green yes. later, and there we have this sort of red imagery you stuck on the See, and that's what I'm missing from this is what you miss on a single watch through no, is right. I need to go back and say, okay, here's all of the parallels, here's all of the th- things they, they've seeded, um, and all of the things that, that, you know, they fulfilled their promise on, uh, you know, you miss all that in a single watch through, um, talk to me about some shots that stuck out to you. So the, the shot that I will not be able to get out of my head, uh, is the image of him as he's entering the chapel and it's this backlit mm. golden light with the tree leaves around it, forming the arch that he's standing in. Yeah. Like the most extraordinary hero shot, just really right. beautiful. Um, and really beautiful. I mean, the, it's it's lovely and it has depth of color, right? Yeah. So oh, yeah. There's layers of image there. I love the fact that there are times where we don't light Patel. We the we just have enough light to see that shapes are moving, and we we know what we know what we're seeing. There's a ton of silhouette. Yeah, it's right. really interesting. And it's when we say silhouette, right? It's like silhouette against the darks in some places. Mm-hmm. The the sh- sequence when he's king and sitting on the throne, mm. which you mentioned earlier, I think is just one of the most spectacular shots. So crazy, yeah. Really stunning. Yeah, I mean, talk um, about the. I mean, even the opening sequence, the opening mm-hmm. shot, that push in, and you get this little little monologue of somebody maybe it's his mother telling the story of what this is going to be and what it's not going to be and then his head bursts into flame right as the crown comes down and sits upon his head i mean they're telling you what the ending of this film right you know 
And so, then the, wow. the, other, the other shot I want to at least point out is the, um, the the overhead shot of the round table. The use mm. of it, it's such an interesting tool because in crappy filmmaking, you <laughs> use the same idea right. where the world is dark, but what you want to light because your set looks like you pulled it out of a cardboard box, right? right? Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. not what's happening here, but it's used to focus so clearly. And so we get there's a shot from ground level sort of facing forward and then there's a overhead shot right this sort of bird's eye view shot mm. uh with uh patel in the center of the circle of knights and i it just absolutely beautiful after gray, that's red, after the right, green knights right defeated, there's right? blood yeah. on the ground and axes on the ground mm -hmm. and the it's that gorgeous like hazy gray stone that is just beautifully lit yeah and the balance of light and that doesn't mean the light's balanced right but the balance of the light is so beautiful and so right there's some shots that stuck out for me but i it it is relentless you're being beaten over the head with beautiful imagery for the entire film over and over and over again uh and beautiful imagery that's supported by a frame yes, camera yes, and gorgeous yes. light Absolutely. right like there's all of these tools being put. Everything advances the story forward. There's no, there's no shot out of place just for the sake of it being a beautiful shot, right? Mm -hmm. Every shot has meaning, like we said before. Um, yeah, I mean, there's I mean, we could go on for the entire hour of this podcast and just talk about beautiful shots, but right. But at least um, to point some of that out. So gosh, it, is, looking, it is overwhelmingly, it. it is overwhelmingly amazing. Um, I do have one question. Um, I so I, <laughs> I'm watching this film and. We're in the first 20 minutes or so, and I'm saying to myself, I think Alicia Vikander's in this movie. Is this her? With, is that, was that her with the little Belle in the beginning? Did she play two different looking women who look uh, yeah. exactly the same? That's her, uh, so right? So Alicia Vikander plays the, um, the Essel role and the lady role, right? Okay. Plays two different. The woman parts. who gives birth at the end, mm -hmm. correct? Okay, I thought I was going crazy at first, um, and then I and then I realized that no, she's in later, and uh, that they cast a woman who looked exactly like her, um, and maybe changed her nose a little bit or something. I don't I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Anyway, she was phenomenal uh, in that role. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, she was so good. Um, and uh, you know, after reading. After reading the source material the last two days, um, I was a little worried that they were not going to get to her character um, as this, as this, uh, as Essel, right? Um, the woman in blue in, in, with Joel Edgerton. Um, I was worried that, that Lowry was going to bypass that whole thing based on how the rest of the film was going. And I couldn't gauge where I was because the story structure is just so out there that I didn't know where we were going as Lowry's adding things and, and subtracting things right. and all this. I, I really had no idea. Um, and he added so much richness to the story that is missing from this original poem. I think, I think he, I think he really added to this work from I don't know, 800 years ago or whatever it is. It's, and one of the things to be, I mean, this in a way, uh, in the way Unforgiven is a Western and yet a revisionist Western, right? Mm -hmm. This is a revisionist chivalric romance, right? right? He's challenging some of the core 
ideas of chivalric romance, one of which is about the maleness of that world. But, yeah. you know, he, he, he isn't letting this just play out honestly to the source material's original goals, which don't align very easily with us today. Um, mm-hmm. So, so yeah, some of that ad- additional material, right, is about reframing the story in this modern context and through his own vision. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's where we need to spend time thinking about it because, you know, we have to come to terms at some point with the fact that this whole thing is spurred on by his mother, right? Yes, yeah. We, we need to come to terms with that opening sequence, right? Mm-hmm. We need to come to terms with that moment of, like the opening sequence with the burning head Gawain right like that exploding burning figure and we have to come to terms with the fact that they both magically create the moment of the green knight and then create the um the tool by which he protects himself right yes (laughs) yes it it there's just so much to to unpack and break down uh when i think you could spend a good 20 minutes just talking about that scene with the lady um and uh gawain and the sex over the removal of the mm-hmm. uh the garter the the belt like yeah that moment is very complex dramatically and i still need to think about it yes um, yeah. if the language and dialogue that's there says something about his mother there's a lot going on there <laughs> and, and yeah and i just need to take the time to not make a rash decision no, at well, 11 o'clock on a like, Monday night. I feel like you and I are just beating around the bush here of like what to not talk about and what to not say right. because we don't want to commit to any certain thought I, on I what any certain scene meant fair. because we just don't have enough, we don't have enough, uh, you know, yeah. I don't think we have enough time right? and I don't, I don't think we have enough experience with the material to really make it a, an educated guess as to what he might have been trying to do right i can wander through this for a couple of hours Absolutely. and talk about it i don't want anyone to have to be tortured through That's my brain's thing. function thing. You, you know because there is there are these questions about what it means to be a woman there are questions about the power female power in um the society and in our society there are definitively questions about shame and guilt and truth and heroism that run through it, but to parse those out in their specific is going to require a conversation that I need to have with the text more firmly in my head, right? Yeah, like that's the distinction, and and I think that with that the text is in like with, as meeting with the, the film. Source, oh, with the film, yes, yeah, because to some extent, I, I have to say that there's a point where the source material doesn't help me. Absolutely, yeah, because I don't think. He's letting that source material um, hold him back from telling his truth. Sure. You you know, it's sure. it's a framing for him to hang his ideas on mm. in the way a ghost story, a, a man in a sheet is a something for him to hang his ideas on. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, you can feel him pushing his ideas in. Yeah. In a ghost story. There's a single scene where he very heavy-handedly beats you with his his ideas um and and that's okay because i feel like that was okay to do in that film um but in this film he does it across the entire stretch of the two hours in a much more subtle way but by the end 
you really feel it, but you still aren't quite sure what his message was without, if you can't stop to think about it, you know what I mean? Like I didn't have time to stop to think about what each component meant separately and together. Right. And so I can't say 100% right now what his message was. Um, right. There's things that are sticking out that seem to make sense, but we have to and let it sit. And, that, that I, makes and it I'm taking film. the source material into account here, right. too. So having literally finished it an hour before arriving to the theater today. <laughs> um, for me, the big thing from the source material that was pushed was this covet, coveted, this envy. I'm going to say envy or jealousness, um, this jealousy and cowardice. Mm-hmm. And cowardice was pushed heavy through, right. through the end of this film. Like very heavy, well, yeah, and, and the the consequences of cowardice and the mm-hmm. shame that comes with right. that decision of not meeting your covenant, right? Like, right, there's all this language there. Like being a coward was not something that I mean, that was something that he's afraid of, right? That's why he ends up taking off this belt mm-hmm. at the end. Um, but the the coveting of it, it and specifically, it's the coveting of uh, look like Alicia Vikander's character, mm-hmm. but it also goes, I think, coveting the the legend status of all of the other knights and, mm-hmm. and wanting what they have and wanting to be a legend and wanting to be um, this man that people sing songs about and all of these things. Um, and that may be a little bit of what Lowry's talking about too. He just takes his own, he just puts his own twist on what that coveting is. When Lowry lets Arthur say right at the beginning, "Remember, it's a game." Mm-hmm. Like, re- and and Gawain does not remember it's a game. Like that's right, the, which is different than the source material, right? Because in the source material, it's not a game. It's not really a game. It's a challenge, mm-hmm. which may be a game, but but his sure. his job is to do what he does in the movie. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the movie, there feels like there's some other option he could have taken that may not have been as dangerous for him in the future right like don't cut off the head right like yeah. don't cut off the head um the here's the challenge don't cut off the head know your own limitation whatever it may be yeah and facing that against the idea of that creature as nature mm-hmm. um or you know entropy or death or mold like they talked about mold, mold a little bit whatever though yeah. that's really interesting rock. and powerful rock yeah. and we have to work through that you know, mm-hmm. to, to make some sense of it overall. Um, There's a lot of levels to it. And yeah. uh, I mean, even the source material ends differently. Mm-hmm. To be honest, the source material doesn't end with, uh, well, there's a there's an open ending here for sure in the, in the film, but it's implied that his head will be cut off. Um, yeah, and I think we get that pretty clearly from the post-credit scene, which you should stay around to watch. Yes, the yeah. thing that happens yeah. in the post credit scene that I think is pretty deliberate. Yeah. Um, uh, or, huh. uh, you know, that that's there. It's, and, and again, what that's saying completely, I don't want to commit to, but right. I want to say that that's very different than the source material, right? And oh, it yeah. gives us an idea of where we're going. There's the other thing I wanted to say is I think this feels like a, I don't want to say this is humorless, right? Hmm. But it is not a film where humor is a tool right of the filmmaker mm-hmm. but the green knight's smirky joke at the end yeah stands out very clearly in reference to a lot of the rest of the film yeah it, i mean it it feels 
I mean, there's that's the only piece of relief you get. Yeah. You know, is at that very end where you can you can be glad for his death. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Um he says well done and makes his his little joke, but uh there's something charming about the Green Knight's smile too mm-hmm. that makes you trust him in that last line even if that last line is you know let's let's right cut off your head, off your head you there. know yeah um you know it is a game right it's a game right so there's so I mean, there's just a lot to really there's far too much man to go to go into um, can, can i just say and you made the point just then that drives us on that the acting in this is really extraordinary across the board uh, everybody Everybody and really well cast. Mm-hmm. Um, good actors doing good work. Um, many of them, you you as an audience member, have seen other places. Some of them are extraordinary character actors who just sort of dissipate into the yeah. role. Yeah. Uh, but really solid work across the board. Um, in in some cases, in roles that are challenging because of the how much those characters are in service of the filmmaking as opposed to the the characters narrative explain that a little bit more i I don't know i don't know if the lady (laughs) and the lord are as real people in scenes as they are tools of the filmmaker to drive his ideas and story and so you have to be a good actor to make that character feel real yeah you know the same thing with um Arthur uh, and Guinevere, they, to make them feel real when they are, when they're, when they're components of everyone's, everyone's a, a like some, everybody's like a theme or a plot tool or something, right? A plot device to drive, uh, Gawain forward. And so we have to, so we have to have actors who can really nail the performances so that the subtext is clear enough. Mm -hmm that we understand what they're feeling and what they're doing without giving them long scenes where they can do the work to let us know that. Right. Yes. I, you know, I think that, yeah, I think that everybody is, everybody's real to an extent, but even, even certain characters are the same character. Like the, the, the Lord and lady in that house at the end to me is also the character of the Fox is also Winifred is also the thieves. They are all the same being as part of this story, part of the story, but they are also the same being that exists to guide Gawain forward. Right. And so, um, it's a little it's a little. I I can't imagine the kind of direction that he would have given to you know or background they would have, he would have given to these actors, um, to explain who they are in this story. And yeah, it, it must have been incredibly difficult to figure out who they are as as an actor. Who is this character that I'm playing? Um, I mean, the fox. The fox exists for a moment, if I recall, in the source material. But the fox doesn't give that monologue at the end. It's the Lord who gives that monologue mm-hmm. at the end. Um, and that's the twist, right? Is that, if I remember correctly, is that the Lord is the Green Knight, right? That this thing there is a definitive, the twist is quite different 
in I mean this story's purpose is very different. Yeah, this this isn't right? the same this isn't the same story through and through. Lowry is doing his his own thing mm-hmm. while also adding a lot to the original. Well like um the Winifred moment, you know, is this really interesting beat. Mm-hmm. But for all practical purposes, Keller uh, what's Kellerman, right? Kellerman. 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 Uh, Aaron Kellerman. Um she she simply gives a long monologue walking mm. forward and we have to get all the work done yeah. for her. Our our empathy for her, all of that has to take place in that walk forward, which is amazing. Yeah. And you know, then she's a beheaded voice giving a warning. Th- that kind of stuff could be cheesy and cheap, but mm-hmm. you put a good actor in that position, you let them work and we get something that has integrity. Yeah, and it and it it pushes a mystery forward, right? The way the way that she performs those lines makes you makes you question things that you've seen, um, makes you question things you're gonna see, uh, and it, and it it puts you inside of 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 Gawain's perspective even more of wondering what is happening to him. Yeah, I love that she says, "Was it you who did this to me?" Mm-hmm. And 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 for a moment we're like, "Wait, I don't know. Maybe yeah. maybe yeah." Maybe that is what what happened, um, and there is this sense that the sexuality in the film doesn't feel healthy, right? Right. Um, or the conversations about sexuality, whatever it may be, it sometimes it feels abusive, or you know, rape is part of what the conversation is. All of that stuff, um, and that's just things I need to think about enough to be able to come to some larger arc i need to to understand this film i think i need to watch it through one more entire time one more one more watch through and then go back and watch an individual scene pause it and think about what i just watched yep you know i i don't think that this is a a single viewing film that you need to be able to watch this two times three times through um, and, and in a place where it's okay to pause and, and discuss with somebody or, um, break down the, the scene that you just witnessed. Like there's, there is so much layering and tone, like er, subtext, everything. There's so much to this film. And there's a lot we haven't talked about at all. Um, and there's just not enough time. This would be a four hour, this would be a four hour podcast. Um, so I think I think revisiting this is going to be a good idea. Um, so let's do this, right? So let's talk from a reviewing standpoint about some broad strokes and some advice for an audience going to see this. And then let's call it a night, and then we'll come back and do a second half. Great. Um, Great. So should people see this in theaters? Absolutely, they should see this in theaters. You should see this in theaters because it's visually stunning. The sound is gonna blow you away in a theater more so than it is on a on a TV, um, and you should go see it with with some friends and support uh, indie filmmakers and auteurs and um, you know studios that are actually giving filmmakers the chance to make the stories they want to make. Do you agree? I do, and I want to say that you know this is I'm gonna smack AMC briefly here. I mean, <laughs> so we went and watched Snake Eyes in their largest screen. Yeah. And Green Knight was not on that large screen. Yeah. And Green mm-hmm. Knight should have been on that large screen. Absolutely. And Snake Eyes could have been on the screen we saw it today, which was not a horrible screen, right? No, it was just, but it's just not significantly that big smaller. screen. And 
seeing it in that bigger space and having that extra bit of scale would have been wonderful. Yeah. Uh, that and and I think that's part of what you're saying about like the TV and the sound. Yeah. Isn't going to do the the job at home. That doesn't mean that if you've watched it once in a theater, you can't do your vi film analysis on the smaller screen. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so I mean, that's likely where I'll end up doing it. Right. You know, I, I need to be able to pause and think and and uh, digest the ideas that have been you know, thrown at me. Uh, so I think I think a TV viewing is a great second viewing. I mean, if you can go see it again in theaters, do it. But, right. uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't. This was one of those movies where I would have been totally OK with an empty theater because we had a lot of people kind of, you know, get up, use the bathroom mid movie. And I'm yeah. like, what are y'all doing? You guys are missing some really important stuff. The, the folks in our row, uh, two of whom I knew when they walked in entertainingly, <laughs> right, who I taught sort of film in a philosophy class, did, yeah. that they stayed the whole time and I was really proud. Yeah. Like, that was great, but I expected that. But there were people, I think, who who needed to get up. Yeah, they realized that this was going to be a slog maybe yeah, a couple minutes in. There were people who 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour in, they were getting up, using the bathroom, getting more popcorn or something. And that may be the back. other lesson for an audience. If, this, if you're the person who doesn't want to have this methodical thought process in the big public forum, you may want to watch this at home. You won't have the same experience. It is worth watching in that environment if you mm. can't do the theater. But if you if you watch it at home so you can sort of digest that, at some point seeing this on a big screen really matters. Yeah, I, I mean, I would almost even counter that and say, like, just go in then and just experience the movie for what it is. Because in the theater, you're committing to the two hours that this right. film That's is. Whereas true. at home, if you're feeling 30 minutes in that you are, you are bored to death, then you're going to flip it off and go watch something else or you're going to continuously get up and use the bathroom or make uh, some food and you're going right. to miss out on the experience of things. I think that's a really good uh, I mean, that's what I did with the Irishman because I, I couldn't make I just couldn't make it through well, in well, a single sitting. It's four hours long. Yeah, when we watched is, uh, Justice League, we certainly took a break. Had to, had to. Um, but but yeah, and 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 that. I, I mean, that's a good point. I think the theater is the place to see this and I think you want to go in with a, an awareness that this is not an action film that it's a thoughtful intense yeah uh, you're not getting game of thrones here you're yeah. not getting um you know i'm trying to think of another big medieval thing and i can't for some reason um, well excalibur if you want to go back to like sure. classic arthurian legend sure. you're not even getting you're not even getting guy Ritchie's king arthur here right. okay you're getting you're getting a very specific story told to you in a very uh, artsy way, you know, and yeah. if you're not okay with that, this might not be the film for you. And if you want to give it a try, you just have to be prepared just, for the fact just that be ready. It, it's, it's going to be that level of work for you as an mm -hmm. audience member. It's slow paced. Commit. He takes his time, mm -hmm. but I think that you and I find that that's what, I mean, at least I, I really enjoy when, when a filmmaker is taking their time and is able to tell the story they want. It's the reason, I mean, it's the reason I, I loved The Farewell so much was because it really just takes its time. Um, it's, it's the reason The Lighthouse yeah. works because he, mm -hmm. he takes his time with it. Like, Well, and it's through their eyes. Like their mm -hmm. hand is crafting the whole yeah. piece. And and if for no other reason, that's a reason to sort of take the time to watch because you get the experience of 
a real filmmaker's vision, right? Not crafted through right. There isn't a studio, studio hand that or is anything like that. That is uh, forcing things to be that shouldn't be. And it does mean that there can be things about this film that aren't perfect. Sure, absolutely. Because when when it is the individual mind, that mm-hmm. means that mind may not be able to see past some yeah thing that doesn't work. But at this point, I don't. I'm not seeing that. Um, right. I think it's a really rock solid piece of filmmaking. I yeah. just know that it's not a visceral experience. Right. I'm not going. I'm not like. I, I don't feel the. Um, I, I don't feel like I'm going zero to sixty in Fast Nine. Right. You know? Right. Um, it it is physical. It is mm. real, but it isn't that energized, actiony. No. Yeah. Kind of experience. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. that w- that people sometimes need. Mm-hmm. to get through um, a, a film that's thoughtful. Yeah, there's there's certainly a lot of stimulation, but it's not from an action standpoint. Right. It's from a, a visual and audio, audible mm-hmm. standpoint. It's late, y'all. I'm, I'm trying is. to think of these words. And, uh, yeah, you... There's... I'm, it's overwhelming to, th- to think back to the film, uh, but it's, it's definitely one I recommend seeing. And, uh, you know, it's... I mean, it's it's a good film. It's a really good film, and it's worth it's been worth the wait. Um, yeah, I, I think this may have been in the can for a, quite a long time, yeah. as opposed to you know when we talked about Black Widow, where there may have been work done on it. And yeah, the no, I think, there, this, I think I think this has been done for probably and just waiting for the probably time about it could be a year. Released. Yeah, um, and A twenty four doesn't have a legitimate other access point to release things, so it has to be in uh, the cinema and. And so you want to wait for the right time. And this yeah, is well, and you know, I'm glad that they didn't do this like they did uh, Minari. Um, Minari is a film that, sure, I would have loved to see on the big screen. But that's a film that is about a home. And actually seeing that at home... Right, was meaningful. Was meaningful, yeah. And so, and, and it's a quiet... Again, uh, you know, a film that is is slow-paced, takes its time, does its thing. A24, that's just what they do. And... Uh, you know, it was okay watching that at home. That film, that film felt okay at home. But I'm glad they didn't do that same sort of screening process for this film because not as many people would have been able to see it. And the visuals on this are—they just beg for the theater. Yeah, it, you know, it, it, it demands the big screen. It really does. It really does. Uh, so this is a film I will definitely be seeing again, um, likely before it even leaves theaters, and. Uh, for sure we'll be watching when it comes to to, to streaming or to uh yeah whatever way it digital at home what, yeah absolutely so absolutely. and you can expect us to have another conversation then that may be more uh rational yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. but for now what i think we want to say is thanks so much for listening to the racking focus podcast and uh, you should check us out at rackingfocuspodcast.com where you can get connected to all of our social channels we post, uh, you know, graphics about the things that we're producing, and we could be visited by security who's driving by. This <laughs> when we're here at like eleven fifteen recording, security gets pretty concerned about us. Um, uh, and we also, uh, Josiah and I, post stills from films we think are interesting with little mini reviews to guide you along the way to some other uh, viewing that you can do. Uh, and then, in addition to that, you can listen to all of our podcasts up on the website, or you can go to Anchor FM. All of them, or listen Apple, to whatever. All of them. But and can they can send us a message or something? Just I've never quite understood. Yeah, well, you know, nobody really does it, so it's fine. But you know, we'd love for you to be the first. Uh, Anchor.fm/slash Racking Focus Podcast. There is a little message button there, and I, 
you know, that's that's the place to do it. So if you've seen The Green Knight or if you've seen any of these other films, I'd love for you to uh, we'd love for you to send us a little thought, a little message, and we can uh, potentially feature you in a future episode of the podcast. Uh, you know, maybe when we do our second, you know, talk through of this film, maybe we can send out a, a post, a blast onto social media and ask people to send us their thoughts about the film. And we can kind of respond to those thoughts and right. So people know we're talking about it again. It'd be a great time to have that conversation. Yeah, I so. think that'd be good. So there you go. So thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Next, the guys will be watching and reviewing the Suicide Squad. Thanks for listening to the Racking Focus podcast.